Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. And we are having another conversation on race, privilege, inclusion. We have a new guest today to talk about this. But I want to remind everybody what these episodes are about because it's a complete um, shift or change from what the Dream Mason podcast often is. So what I like to think about this is like, we don't know what it's like to live in the shoes of another person. We don't know what it's like. If you're a man, you don't understand what it's like to be inside the mind, the body, the fears, the concerns of a woman. If you're white, you don't understand what it's like to live inside the body of a black man. If you're you know, an immigrant, you don't understand what it's like to be um, someone who was born in this country and vice versa. And I think that one of the only ways that we can create some empathy, some understanding, some connection is to actually start to see the, the world through each other's eyes. And the only way we can do that is through connection, through communication, through asking questions, through listening. And I'm recording these because that's my hope, that we can put down what we believe our realities are, because we often think our realities are the truth. The way I've experienced life is the way life is. And we can listen to what someone else's reality is. And in that, hopefully, we can actually come to understand each other better and work together to create better solutions, to create shifts in our, in our relationships, our world and our society and whatnot. Um, I, I really, you know, I, I don't, I don't think anyone has a clear cut answer to how we make the world a better place. Cause we've been, the world has been dealing with the same issue since the beginning of time, racism, hunger, homelessness, politicians stealing like this has gone on since like the Roman Empire the Greeks like all the way back to you know anywhere in the world and I'm hoping that through conversation through listening we can actually make a dent and have people be able to at least connect more because if we're kinder to each other that would make a difference to start so uh, remember these these episodes are not the truth. They are perspective, right? Everybody who comes on here, including myself, we're sharing the way we see the world. And that's the intention. So please listen with an open mind. Please try to get into the space of understanding and, and in the shoes of the guest. My guest today is he's a really interesting background. Because he went from being in finance and marketing to the winner of the ultimate fighter. And then he was a professional mixed martial artist. He's an author, he's a speaker, he's a coach. His name's Eddie Truck Gordon. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That was a great introduction. I'm pumped up. You got me fired up. So. <laughs> fired up for a conversation, I'm fired up for the introduction. I'm just fired up in general. 
Thanks for being here, man. I know, you know, asking people, I told, uh, I got introduced to you by Miyoko, uh, who's a good friend of yours and mine. And um, I was telling him, it's like weird to, it feels weird and uncomfortable, which is fine, to be a white guy trying to find people of different races, cultures, background and saying, hey, I want to have a conversation about it. And I think it's okay that it's uncomfortable. And I think it's important for me to be uncomfortable with it, but I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing because you don't have to, and you know, you're, you're not the, you're not the selected voice of black men in America. You're just you. And I just really want to be able to hear what it's like to be you and the life you've lived. Listen, I, I first and foremost appreciate you for your speaking up and, and getting uncomfortable to talk about this. Um, Cause you know, with everything going on, I think silence is probably the, the, one of the biggest enemies to this whole entire thing. You know, a lot of times we get uncomfortable. We don't want to actually talk and discuss things. But this has been going on, like you said in your intro, way too long, way too long. And I don't think we're going to come to an answer today on how to fix it. We might not even come to agree on both sides that we, that we share, but at least we're, we're keeping an open mind and we're talking about it. And hopefully the listeners, you know, get something out of it today and that could that could change and shape you know their minds and world yeah and you have a and you have an interesting i didn't know this until we talked the first time you have an interesting perspective too because you're married to a white woman and you have mixed race kids so there's like three dynamics to play at the same time and i was actually just talking to a friend of mine who said he's white but he married a, a black woman and they have mixed race kids and he was talking about how they had to have a conversation this week with their kids about what was going on. And the first thing his oldest kid said to the mom was, our grandma and grandpa are gonna die. And he was like, man, I never even, as a white man, I never, like, we didn't talk about race growing up. What's this, what's this like for you with your kids? Like, what are the conversations you guys are having? Neat, because you know, I, have, I have my oldest is 14 years old, my youngest is three. So obviously my, my three-year-old going on four really has no clue what's going on. But when I had the conversation with my oldest son and then, you know, his brothers who are, they're all like six months apart, Irish twins, fun stuff. They, they were just, they were almost couldn't believe it was reality. You know, when the first time I asked my, my oldest son, I was like, you know, what, what do you feel about this? What do you think is going on? He's like, dad, it feels like a video game. And my first reaction was like, what the heck, what video games are you playing? And then I sat there and I, I thought about it. And I'm like, you know what? You know, everything's on fire. Things are burning. People are dying. You see viruses attacking. It's like the zombie apocalypse. Like there's a lot of crazy things going on. So I could see from his perspective, but the hardest thing uh, for him to deal with is, you know, his dad being uh, quote unquote, you know, celebrity being verified on, on social media platforms and having to deal with, you know, the good and the bad. Like people attacking my relationship with his mother. People attacking, oh, you have athlete's privilege. Oh, you have this, you have that. So it's really unique for them to sit there and, and, and kind of uh, dissect it. So as a parent, we had to have that hard conversation. And, you know, it's, it's, it's awkward being that, you know, mom is white, dad is black for the same, for the shake that we never really saw color. It sounds corny, sounds cheesy, but we never raised our kids to look at color, never to see color because, you know, when they're coming from a mixed background, diverse, they live amongst it. So it's not like they have to, it's like, grandparents come from both sides of the fence so it's, it's super difficult and I don't think it's I don't think kids should have to go through this at such a young age because they should have to answer these questions they should be able to be kids but for me my biggest fear is you know you know 
being mixed kids is seen as black kids. You know, mm-hmm. seen as 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 being half white, being half black. When people look at them, they identify them being being you know kinky hair, you know tan colored skin, and so immediately they, they assume they're black. So my biggest fear is you know my kids can't go on a bike ride now without me thinking about what if what if like that might be realistically the last time I see them. God forbid something happens. My kids are young, but they're very muscular. They're very they're very athletic, so they look older than they are. And you know, kids are kids. Like some you know, adults say something to them, you know, they might not get the response they want. And now, God forbid, it's a cop. I have to worry about you know, my kids not coming home. So it's it's a tough conversation I have to have with them, and I had with them, and they don't understand because in their eyes, why we're all equal, we're all created equal, and this is not a learned behavior that the cops are acting on. It's not a learned behavior that people in society is acting on. And I'm not just talking about white people. I'm talking about black, brown, yellow, green, orange, because there's a bunch of different prejudices that we have, a bunch of different racism that we have, and it's not just coming from one side of the fence. Where did you, you know, where did you learn about racism for the first time? Do you remember, like, that first I dealt with it. Now, as a young kid, I, I believe I was probably in fourth or fifth grade when I actually realized what was going on. And that's because I wrestled. So we traveled a lot. And, you know, I wrestled and my wrestling coach actually had the same last name as me, but he was white. His name was Dave Gordon. So he was my wrestling coach. We traveled upstate New York. And while we're at these meets, you know, my parents weren't there. They had to work. We didn't really have much money. So my parents couldn't take off and travel with us when the kids were playing sports. So he was my chaperone. So when we were in a McDonald's, you know, we're ordering and, and we're just talking and somebody's giving us like the this weird look like, what's this white male doing with this young black kid? And, 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 I, and I just looked at like, oh, dad, can I get this? Because we both have the same name. And he just, you know, that was, our, that was our thing. He just kept on going on the conversation. And to see the, re- the person at the register give us this dumbfounded look as if we were both aliens was like the first small incident that I had as a kid uh, growing up. And at that point, I was, you know, when you're a kid, you're invincible. So I looked at it as if it was like nothing and kind of shrugged it off. But then I wondered, like in the car, I'm like, well, what? just because, you know, I said to him, what, because you're white, you can't be my dad. He's like, oh, you saw that look too. So we both acknowledged it. Like it wasn't just, you know, my my mind playing tricks on me as a young kid. Um, so it's it's tough, man. It's something that, that that has to be spoken about. At that point, I wasn't outspoken. I didn't, I didn't continue the conversation. It was almost like, okay, laughed at it, moved on. And now it's like, you have to have these deep conversations. I mean, I'm sure you've had experiences in your life, like beyond that, like, you know, how did it show up? You know, when I said you started in finance and marketing, you went to Fordham, like, did it, I was just reading this book actually. And it was talking about how often like African American men struggle in college because they don't actually fit into the, the, like the college environment. Like they feel different. They're like kind of, this is a, it's a book called boys and sex. And it's really, it's looking at all the ways that boys um, learn about sex, relate to sex, but it talks a lot about college. And it was, it had this point where it was like uh, black men in college, they're idolized. It's like they bring, they're like cool. Like the, the white people want to bring them around. They're like, they, they get like street cred for having them, but if they mess up or there's something wrong or they don't fit in, the consequences are much harder. And it made me think, wow, that's interesting. I never even thought about that. You know, what, what are your experiences? I mean, finance, marketing, Fordham, you know, what are your experiences with all that? 
Hey, what, man? That, that actually brings back a lot of crazy memories, man, good and bad. You know, being at Fordham, you know, a Jesuit university, predominantly white, uh, you know, super expensive to go there. You know, I had a scholarship as a football player, so it was different. Like, the only, you know, the only African-Americans on the actual campus were the athletes. And, you know, you'll have a couple here and there, uh, African-Americans, you know, on campus, but it was really different. And having friends and, and family that, like, went to historically black colleges, their college experience was different. Like, it was, like, realistically, I was, like, the minority. And it was awkward. Like, like, like you know, you would, you would get that look, and then, you know, they find out you're on the football team, and then you could see the attitude shift. You could see the mindset shift. It's like, oh, I'm not threatened. Oh, he's an athlete. And then it kind of shifted toward that. So it was tough to deal with, man. And, and, and you talk about race. You know, this is something I talked about my kids about. And it's actually a, a crazy story that my sophomore year, I was uh, living off campus, actually living on campus at the time, living on campus. And I met a girl, met a girl at a club or something, at a club. And, you know, we ended up talking, ended up hooking up. Time went by. And I ended up talking to her roommate, not knowing it was her roommate. She got upset and was like mad at me. I played up, I was like, went on on a relationship, moved on from the situation. And then sure enough, like weeks later, I get a knock on my dorm room door. So I look through the door, I see these two guys. I'm like, okay, I open the door. It's her dad and uncle. And it's her dad and uncle. And they're like, they, they, they burst in, they're like interrogating me. Thank God I was a big guy. I wasn't, I wasn't like a small guy. I was a big guy. And I wasn't like intimidated. Um, and they're like, you raped my daughter. Like, this is the first word they say to me. So my eyes pop out of my head like, what in the planet are you talking about? And immediately I see like my life flashing through my eyes. Immediately. I'm sitting there. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm talking to this girl's dad. And we're obviously different races. He's white. I'm, I'm, I'm black. So I'm like, I'm seeing everything, every Hollywood movie you see about a guy's life is ruined just by accusation without, you know, trial tribulation. And I'm like nervous as could be. And the first thing I come out, I'm like, what are you talking about? No. And he's like, yeah, you met my daughter at the library and this and that. And he's going on and on. I'm like, time out. I met your daughter at a club. And his eyes like dropped, like his heart sank. And he literally picked up the phone. I remember like it was yesterday. He picked up the phone, he called his daughter and he like started yelling, where the hell did you meet this guy? And she literally said, Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I lied. He looked at me. His brother looked at me, or or what? I don't know if his brother-in-law looked at me. They were they were brothers. Turned around, walked out of my room. I never saw them again. I've never been so scared in my life because I was like, that could be the end of my life. I called my coach. I called my mother. I had my mom call an attorney. Like I was I was scared out of my mind because I'm thinking, this is it. This is the black guy, raped or hooked up with the white girl. Doesn't matter if it's true. Doesn't matter if it's not. Like I'm, I'm literally like playing history in my head, and you know, I'm like nervous to be. And thank God that I remembered that, and I said I, I spoke up and said where we met. And you know, the dad caught his daughter in one lie, and she didn't want to continue. But if she would continue with that lie, it would have been my word versus her word. And it, would, and it was just, it was just that was probably one of the most life changing events that happened to me in college. And I was like. I have to tell my kids at a young age. And, and my wife was like, why would I ever tell them that? I'm like, 
I don't want them to go through the same thing like that. They can learn from from different experiences I had in life. And that was the scariest race race thing I ever dealt with in, in college. So when you said that immediately, I, I thought about it. It's, you know, we don't talk about this a lot in our society that we have the idea that like, you know, we put, um, I don't even know how to say it, but it's like, there's this, there's this dichotomy of like how we look at black men when it comes to sex. And there's like this elevated, like, um, it's almost, almost, I feel like I'm going to butcher this, but it's almost like a, um, there's like a very masculine, like, like, um, aggressiveness that that is in a, in a considered like appealing when it comes to like the sex world but then the other side of it is like if anything goes wrong the consequences are very different and we see this all the time where um and it's often obviously people of all races rape and sexually assault people but it seems like there's a glaring when it's like a black man and a white woman and then when you were talking about it to like slavery times what do you, can, I mean, is there anything else that you can share besides your experience from like, like or that you saw that experience around those kind of topics, like around you and sex or? It's, uh, yeah, man, like, like, like I will have the conversation with my parents, you know, after that, like it was, you know, open book and, and my parents would tell me like, you have to be careful because for whatever reason, society looks at black males as hypersexual. And, and it's like, for whatever reason, and, and aggressive and the different per- perceptions you have. and. We would see it on campus, like, you know, call a spade a spade. Like, people of different races will gravitate towards the athletes, will gravitate towards the minorities because it was different. It was something that that they weren't used to growing up around or it was something that was defying what their parents wanted to be and you want to be that kid. So it was, it was blatantly obvious, man. Like, being an athlete, you know, you get certain privileges, but you also have, you know, certain consequences that, that comes with that, that, that privilege. And... I dealt with it, you know, for a while. I'm a big believer that you can't control who you fall in love with, but you have to control your actions. And from that day forward, I was literally on like, I, I was maybe PTSD. I was on thin ice with women. Like I, I stopped going out as much in college. I wouldn't hook up or talk to any girl that was drinking. Like that, that literally just changed my whole perspective of it because I didn't want to put myself in a situation that could be misinterpreted. Yeah. Did your parents, you know, we were talking about you having a conversation with your kids. Did your parents ever have, you know, I had a conversation with my coach once, and this was a game changer for me, when he was sharing with me that he learned, he grew up in Brooklyn when it wasn't the Brooklyn it is now, yeah. and how he learned how to listen to the, for the sound of a bullet before he learned how to cross the street. So he knew how to drop to the floor before he knew how to cross the street. And I was like, man, my parents never, you know, white kid growing up in, in a good area of Los Angeles. Like, I didn't, I don't know what, a, I didn't hear a, a bullet, what a bullet sounded like until I was actually in high school in a mostly black and Hispanic neighborhood playing baseball. Then I heard a bullet for the first time. But what would, what, you know, what are those conversations, if you had any, that your parents had with you that you think maybe are different from what other parents have with their kids? If there are any. <laughs> I was fortunate enough that my parents really didn't have that conversation with me. It was more my brother, to tell you the truth. Like, my brother was, like, my, my role model. I looked up to him. He made a lot of mistakes in his life, but he always fixed them, corrected them. So I, he, I really didn't have those kind of conversations with my parents. But I have those conversations now with my kids because of, like, life experiences. I don't 
want my kids to glamify, you know, being ghetto. I don't want my kids to glamify coming from the hood. I don't want them to glamify any of that stuff because realistically, it might, on like the, the mainstream media and YouTube and all this stuff, it might look popular, but that stuff is, is, is over, overrated. Like being popular is overrated. So I didn't have those conversations. I had those conversations with my kids. I didn't have it with my parents. And I stress, I stress, it might not be right, but you have a higher, you have a higher um, expectation being a, a kid of color. You, you don't have the room for error that some kids have. You can't make the same mistakes that other kids have. And you have a higher standard. And whether it's right or wrong, you know, I'm stricter with them on their grades because, you know, I don't want them to fall into the, the, the dumb jock, uneducated black kid category. So I'm super strict on that. I had the conversation with them, like, you go out with your friend, whether, you know, they're black, white, pink, orange, whatever it is. If they do something stupid or foolish, you have to set yourself apart from them. You have to separate. It's not, it's not the popular thing to do. It's not good. You don't want to walk away. But you can't go and engage in that things that, that the average kid could. And we come from a mixed environment. Like, the town that I grew up in is the town that I live in now. And I'm deeply rooted in the community. And I like that because if something's happening, I'm going to get notification of it. I'm going to be able to stop it or, or help fix it or just help nip it in the bud. So, you know, there's a lot of white kids in my area. There's a lot of Spanish kids in my area. There's a lot of black kids in my area. And I don't ever tell my kid, my, my kids, be friends with somebody based on the color of their skin. I tell them to be friends with a person based on, you know, you know, their, you know, their actions and their behaviors. But I stress over and over again, if you're in a group of kids and you're, you're dressed as a quote-unquote thug, People don't care what your grades are. I don't care who your parents are. They're going to judge you. Like, they're going to judge you. And it's just a, it's a harsh reality. How does it go different with you and your wife, right? Because it's a totally different experience. Like, what do you, do you guys talk about this? And like, how does, how does she show up in these conversations? We had, we actually just had this conversation because we come from two completely different worlds. My wife, my wife grew up in a predominantly uh, you know, white neighborhood, wealthy family, good background, good education, like all that stuff. And her, her reality is completely different. Like, like something as simple as traveling. I didn't travel anywhere besides Jamaica, which I was born in Jamaica. So my family was there and wherever I went for like this, for within the country for like sports, that was it. Like my wife was able to go on cruises. She was going on you know, trips around the world to Europe. And like, she thought that was like normal. I'm like, dude, we had to make a decision between the lights and sports. And my parents always sport chose the lights. Like that wasn't, that wasn't how I was raised. And do I want better for my kids? hundred percent. But some of the things that she lets my kids get away with that she gives the kids, I don't agree with because I wasn't raised like that. It's not that I want them to struggle, but I want them to know how it is to earn something, how it is to, to not give anything. And we, we, we bump heads because, you know, my wife, even though she's white, she loves, you know, hip hop. She loves, you know, the, 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 the black culture. And she's, she thinks that she knows about it, but we have arguments about, like, you don't know what it's like to grow up as an African-American in, in a predominantly white society. And sometimes she can't understand, not that she doesn't want to, obviously she married me, so she accepted me for who I am, but she can't understand getting certain looks. She can't understand the, the, the prejudice that you get just by the, the, the clothes you wear. She can't understand that because 
to be to call a spade a spade when you're white, it's it's you're not looked down upon for for dressing hip quote unquote hip hop or dressing urban. That word urban, I don't know what that word really means. It's like it took on a life of its own. Um, yeah. Like you're not looked down upon for 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 listening to hip hop, listening to rap, listening to to R and B. You know, or any black guy that listens to country music. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? And it's like, why? Music is music, right? Music shouldn't have color lines. But it's always looked down upon a, a, a black kid doing something quote-unquote white. A white person doing something black is almost like it's trendy. It's, it, 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 it's, it's okay. So she really, she doesn't get it, and it's not her fault, you know? Like, the fact that she has the conversation, she's open to the conversation, is I think that's where the solution lies for everybody. Is there, I mean, are there ways to, it's a, per, it's a beautiful example because you guys are obviously married, you're close, you have kids together. Is there, are there ways that you help her understand or is it just kind of? It's tough. It's tough because like, like you can learn, like how are you going to learn? Like there's two different ways you can learn. You can learn through pain or you can learn through experience or, or you can learn through like a mentorship. You know, it's hard for me to mentor my wife how to be an adult because she's already there already. But I'll give you the perfect example. We're in the process of looking for a house. Uh, we're selling our house. You know, I lived in Freeport my whole life. I'm, I don't want to change. I'm used to the community. I don't want to go anywhere else. She was looking at other towns, other places. And one of the towns she wanted to go to is where she works. Everybody wants to work, live close to where they work, right? It was uh, Merrick, New York. And literally, immediately as she said, I'm like, I can't live there. And she's like, why? I'm like, it's just... I, you, I can't live there. She's like, why? I'm like, because I get along with white people. I, I have friends of all different colors, races, but I can't be somewhere that I'm not comfortable. Not the fact that I'm comfortable because of me, but for my kids. I don't want my kids to go through being picked on, being bullied because they're black, being picked on, being bullied because they're different. It's, I think, Merrick, the town demographic is like 90% white, 10% other. So I don't want my kid to be, to deal with that, like, that shouldn't be something they have to worry about um, in their life. And sure enough, once this whole craziness of the world took place, there was a major incident in Merrick with racism. And this is something that I didn't even think was, was as out in the open. There was, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter, they had protests, and they had protesters from the community protesting the Black Lives Matter. And some of the some of the, 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 the words that was being spewed was caught on social media. Everybody's a news anchor now, so you got a cell phone. Some <laughs> of the things that were coming out of these people's mouths were so sad and disheartening because you're, you're in 2020 and you think that this wouldn't be the, be the case. Go back across the bridge because there's literally a bridge between Freeport and America. Go back across the bridge. Go out west. We don't want you here. Like, create craziness. And I have good friends that live in that town. And you know, you have four or five people saying stuff that doesn't reflect on the whole town, but that's what's going on there, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's scary that it had to come to something like that. And sure enough, my wife literally said, I got a text message. I got it to this day. She says, there's no chance I want to live there. Like, I'm like, oh, now, now you start to see because they're talking about our kids. They're talking about just because somebody doesn't look like you, you have no idea what they're living, what they're going through. And to, to, to think that people live with that mindset now, scary. Do you feel like you, um, 
I heard this from somebody from one of my actually, and he was sharing with me about one of his good friends, and they were having a really cool conversation about the difference. Like he's white, his friend's black, and his friend shared with him, you know, every day you wake up and you just go get your coffee or start your day. He's like, every day I wake up and I'm black, and he was like, what do you mean? He was like, it you don't realize how much it shows up in my life on a moment to moment, situation by situation basis. And that I have to be aware of it. Do you, does, is that, does that resonate for you? Is that something that shows up? Unfortunately it does, you know, like, like, like as much as we want to think that we're in a great world, that we're, we're all equal. There's certain times, for instance, that I don't wear certain things just because I know that I'm black. Like I love sweatpants. I love hoodies. I love that it's super comfortable. I've been an athlete my whole life and it's just comfortable. But there's certain places I go that I won't wear a black hoodie. I can't because I don't want to be perceived as that thug. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to see a person I walk by clutch their, clutch their, their, their purse. Like I'm not a big flashy person. I'm a bit, I'm very I'm basic as it comes. Uh, a black V-neck and some sweats and a hoodie, that's it. Uh, so, you know, somebody sees me, they don't know that you know I have an education. They don't know that that I come from an affluent uh, history. They don't know that I'm a professional athlete. They don't know that I wrote a book. They don't know anything about me besides what they see, and that is is scary because you're automatically prejudged. And now you got to work extra hard just to get to an equal playing ground. Whether it's business, whether it's you're just going to pick up something from a deli and you know, I'm very outspoken. I'm not very shy. So I don't do too well with people if they're trying to treat me lower than them. I'm going to tell them about themselves. Like, I'm, I'm going to do it in a, in, a, in a respectful way. I'm not going to resort to violence, but I'm not going to sit there and allow somebody to talk down on me as if I'm, as if I'm nobody. I'm going to tell them flat out, listen, we're equals. Like, don't talk to me a certain way. So my wife hates that about me sometimes because... <laughs> I don't let it slide. Like if somebody's staring at us and we walk into a restaurant, I'll say, I'll, I'll go out of my way to say, hey, hi, how you doing? Like, I, I'm not shy about that. And, and sometimes they respond and then we have a conversation and then it's, the, the whole situation's flipped. Or sometimes they look and they look down and just go about their business. But I'm not big into the avoidance phase. Like, I don't like to avoid situations. Like, you know, I don't want to get violent. I don't get ignorant. I don't get, I don't, I don't give them justification for, the, for their judgment that they're trying to pass on me. I, I, I hit it with, a, with, with passion, but I hit it in the right route. I'm not gonna sit there and be ignorant. I wanna, talk, I wanna hear about too, like how it, um, how it shows up in your social circle. You said, you know, you have friends of all different colors. I like that you like listed all the different colors out. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, you don't know me personally enough that I can like ask you specifically. I mean, you could share based on this conversation, but I'm really curious about how like inadvertent or subconscious racism shows up in personal relationships, like with friends that are white or other colors, whatever, that you know they're good people. Like, you know in your heart they're good people, but they just don't see, like they, there's, there's blinders on. Yeah, listen, and then I, I open up like this. You, I'm an open book, man. Like, I got thick skin. Anything you want to ask, you know, you can ask. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm super, I'm fine with that. You know, you came from, you, I know you're coming from a great place. You're having this conversation, so that's huge. But, you know, something that comes to mind immediately, I went to one of my, one of my friends' house, and we've been friends for probably over eight years now. And 
it's just like a night out with the with the spouses, right? So different couples come, and literally they had fried chicken. They had fried chicken as like one of the sides, and she's white. Her husband's Italian, and she's Jewish. And literally, she was like, "Don't take this the wrong way. I I, I just really love the chicken. I didn't get it because I knew that my black friends were coming over." And she was being serious and hard. And I and I was like and I was like, "Listen, I love chicken. If you love chicken, I'm all for it. Like I don't." I don't care. And we made a joke out of it. And I think sometimes in society, like we, we take ourselves too seriously and, and we're very, you know, we're very, very like, you know, soft skin and we can't like, like look at a situation like that and laugh. And we automatically just try to try to dig too deep into what people say. Like, I know she's not racist. I know her husband's not racist. I've been around them for multiple years. They never showed my family any racism. It was just the, you know, the stereotype, the prejudice that you always hear. And she's, and she that she literally she dove in, broke the ice, and was like, "Listen, we like chicken. Like, don't take this the wrong way." And they were literally, and her husband was like, "I'm not gonna lie to you. We were not gonna order it, but she didn't feel like cooking." And 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 I was like, "Listen, I'm happy you did because it tastes good, and I'm all for it." But it's little things like that that people go through, and like they think it's a problem. And I think that if you're addressing it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be an issue. That's, it's pretty funny. I mean, it sounds funny, like in the, the, because you're, you, you, because you know them, but you could see how that, I'm like, I'm thinking about ways that we would do that subconsciously, right? If you're inviting people over or you're going to an event and you're like, well, I don't know them. What are they like? And then you go to stereotypes. Um, What do you, is there like other tip? Is there like, I don't want to say a tip, but is there, is there something you'd want your like white friends to know that you that you're like, man, I wish I wish they could understand this about you specifically, right? Not about what yeah, you. I was gonna say I can't speak for all black people in the world. You said that right from the top, but I know one thing that that me personally, I would love like for white people to stop apologizing, stop apologizing for being white, because I'm not gonna apologize for being black. Like like every white person today didn't own a slave. Like somebody, somebody sat there on social media and commented, don't I feel resentment toward my wife when I look at her because she's white? And I'm like, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, I don't, I don't, she didn't own any slaves. Like, like I can't, I'm not going to hold a, a, a grudge against her based off the color of her skin because if that's the case, then I'll be no worse than people of other colors holding a grudge against black people for what other black people have done in the past. Like, I want her to acknowledge history, be aware of it, but that's it. I'm not sitting there holding every white person accountable for slavery. Yeah. I'm not holding every white person accountable for what's going on. And when I, when, when people, when, when African-Americans, black people, white people, orange people talk about white privilege, they're not saying that you're white, you're racist. You're white, you're, 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 you're passing judgment. That's not the case. White privilege doesn't mean that. I think a lot of people don't realize that. It's not saying that, that you're doing anything wrong. It's just saying that it exists. Guess what? Athlete privilege exists. Actor privilege exists. It's something that exists. It's just it's just the way it is. If you don't acknowledge it, you're thinking that somebody's attacking you, then it's, I think that's that's a problem. So that's the biggest thing that I would want for somebody other than you know a black person. Don't apologize to me for being you it doesn't that to me that that doesn't sit well with me yeah i love that too that you you know we don't think of 
there is like privilege in, in lots of different things, right? Like, um, my girlfriend is, is a lawyer and in the industry she's in, she's, uh, predominantly it's not a lot of females in that specific part of law and she thinks she's gotten advantages by being a female in a in that industry and she looks at it and she goes hey there's some privilege here and 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 there's some advantages and i think it's a great point to think like all these different areas we and none are better or worse than others but if you don't acknowledge it it's like pretending it's not real when it actually is real and it's i love that you say like it's not bad i i shared with you when we talked that first time I think of my privilege as like, I can, you know, we were talking, you were talking about dressing. I, I love wearing baseball hats backwards. It's like my favorite thing, baseball hats backwards and hoodies, my favorite thing. And it's like all the way back to high school. And I never think about, like, I'm never thinking, oh, they're gonna think I'm like a thug or anything like that. They might think, oh, he's dressed a little immature. <laughs> like this is almost a 40 year old man, <laughs> but, that's a, that's different, right? And a, that's a different conversation. Same thing. I think about, you know, I have, I have tons of tattoos. I don't think that anybody's going to think that I'm violent or dangerous or any of those things. I think they might think, who knows what they might think, maybe immature, or maybe this guy doesn't have his shit together. Who knows? But it's different. Cause it's not, I think the, the thing I'm really hearing from you that's really cool is Mine is just a choice, right? I can choose. I got my tattoos. It's a choice. I can't, I could have chose not to get them. You actually like can't do anything about it. You also, I can choose whether to wear a hat backwards and it doesn't matter. You choose it. And all of a sudden, you know that there's a segment of people that are going to look at you a specific way and it's not who you are and it's not how you, and it's, and it's actually dangerous. That, yeah. And that's the scary part. Like my fears, my concerns is completely different from my wife. When my wife gets pulled over, she's thinking about, oh, gosh, how much is this thing going to be? Yeah. Like, when I get pulled over, I'm thinking about, let me keep my hands on the wheel, let me turn on my, 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 my light in my car, so I know I'm not dangerous. I'm, I want to get out of this situation alive. Like, that's privilege. Like, she has the ability not to worry about that. I don't. Like, that's privilege. It's not that she did anything wrong. It's, it's, it's just the way it is. And if you can't acknowledge that, then that, that's a part of the problem. Because in order for us to, to, to fix any situation in this country, we have to realize that there, it, it exists. And until we're all on that same page, I'll be happy in my lifetime if we can all just get on that page. It's not blaming anybody, just saying that we are aware that we do have this situation that's alive and well in this country, and let's go about finding a way to, to fix it. Because I'm more concerned about my kids, not me. Like, I wish I could live forever. Probably not, but I know that that I don't realistically see this problem getting anywhere near close to being solved until even if I get if I hit 150, like I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be solved. It took what 500 plus years already. So who am I to be that 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 foolish to think that's gonna be an overnight fix? Like the George Floyd situation, put it on a, on a, on a higher uh, level of awareness, but realistically. Eric Gardner, we could go name after name after name. It's been going on for so long, and we just it, it keeps repeating itself. Something different has to happen. Something different has to, we have to, you know, they, what they say, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting change, right? So something, we have to do something. I know anger fills our hearts. I was angry when I first heard the news. I was like pissed off. I'm like, why? But we can't allow anger to dominate, right? Because being angry, 
is not going to solve it. You know, so we have to do something different, and we have to not just not just remember it now because that's the hot topic, that's the hot that's the that's what's getting the most the media play. We have to remember a year from now, six months from now, five years from now. We have to keep it in the forefront when nothing's going on. Still keep it in the forefront and keep the communication lines open. Well, man, I was going to ask you if there was anything you wanted to say to like wrap up, but I think you just said it. Unless there's anything else you want to add, but I think what you just said was pretty powerful. I, I honestly, man, like that's that's just it, man. Like like everybody that that reached out to me that wanted to talk, they felt like almost like I don't want to ask them. I don't want them to feel like I'm pressuring, but. I enjoy it. I appreciate the fact that you allow me to be on your platform because if I can change the the perception of somebody's somebody's thoughts of a, of a black male, then great. My job is done. Whether it's just one person or it's a hundred people, one person they could go and they could make an impact on somebody's life and say, "Hey, well, you know what? I saw this guy that was educated. I saw this guy that made mistakes in life. He's not perfect. I saw this guy that that he's trying to make make the world a better place than when he came in. And by the way, he's black." You know, that to me would be the most powerful thing. I'm a true believer that my impact on this world is not about how many fights I win, how many cars I own, how many houses I have. It's about how many lives I can change. And I can't see a better time than now to go out there and, and, and make an impact and use my platform, use my voice to, 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 to end some of, this, some of this hate, some of this, some of this division. Because, you know, people are not going to like to hear me say this, but it's not just white people. It's, it's, it's not just black people. It's not just brown people. It's everybody. There's, everybody's carrying hate around. And it's so easy to tear people down instead of build them up. And it's, it's sickening. It's disgusting. And we have to do something about it. And it starts from within ourselves. Hey, thanks, Eddie, for, you know, I, I just want to thank you for, for being here, for being open. We didn't know each other before this, um, but thanks, you know, we hopped on the phone and you have a, like an open heart, you got an open mind. Um, thanks for, for sharing like the vulnerable things about your life, the stories, you know, I did not expect you to share that story when you were, the, that, the, the, where the guys came to your apartment. Um, Thanks for just being so open and honest. Thanks for being a dad that actually we can you can hear the love, how much you have for your boys and how, how important it is to raise them right, for being a committed husband. Um, and thanks for being somebody who actually wants to make a difference in the world, that wants to use, you know, you're not using your fame to go hide. Like, I don't want to talk about any of this. Um, and Because you don't have to. You know, I think that's one of the things is like, I think for me, you know, minorities, not just blacks, but like any minorities have had to have, carry the burden and had to do the work of this, right? And I think it's it's my, something that calls to me is like, hey, I wanna get involved and, and help like open the door, help bring people together. So thanks for giving me that opportunity. Um, I appreciate you. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for having me, Alex. Like I truly, truly appreciate it. Um, I'm a big believer that if I keep my mouth shut, then shame on me. It's going to be no different than somebody walking by me getting victimized and just keeping their mouth shut. So I want to you know, bring as much light to this as possible. And not everybody's going to agree with me. And I'm fine with that. I'm not going to agree with everybody. But as long as we can keep an open mind and just listen, that's going to be do so much more benefit than just sitting there just acting as if this doesn't exist. Yeah, we'll keep it up, man. Thank you again. I so appreciate you. Um, I'm so grateful. Uh, and Thanks for having me, man.
my allergies are kicking my butt. I'm over here sniffing. <laughs> I got my towel over here. So, <laughs> no worries, man. It's all good. Um, I'm gonna and everybody can follow you if people want to follow you. It's uh, it's Truck Gordon, right? On Instagram, Truck Gordon on all my platforms. You know, my Facebook, my Instagram. Uh, I think Twitter is the only one that's different. It's Truck MMA underscore UFC. Um, but you know, reach out. I always try to communicate. You know, to you know, to friends, family, even my haters, man. They 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 drop some comments. Sometimes I have some extra moments. I'll definitely entertain them. So uh, I never once got uh, called to being shy. So definitely reach out. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent. I want to hear your voice. Thanks, man. I'll put everything in the show notes so people can have your contact info. Thanks again, and uh, awesome, every- man. everyone listening. Thanks for spending your time with us. You didn't have to do this. Thanks for listening to Eddie Gordon and uh, his just his story. I hope that, you know, like, like I said in the beginning, my hope is that you can just understand what it would like to live as a different person than you from a different perspective. And hopefully it can give you a little more compassion, a little more empathy, and a little bit more of an open mind instead of thinking you know the right way or the things that you know are right. They might be great but there's also all these other ways and all these other perspectives. Uh, Until next time, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.